Hello, and welcome to the ResMed first quarter fiscal 2022 earnings conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. We ask that you please ask one question, then return to the queue during the Q&A session. If anyone should require operator assistance, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It's now my pleasure to turn the call over to Amy Wakeham, Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Communications for ResMed. Please go ahead, Amy. Great. Thank you, Kevin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to ResMed's first quarter fiscal year 2022 earnings call. We thank you for joining us. This call is being webcast live, and the replay will be available on the Investor Relations section of our corporate website later today, along with a copy of the earnings press release and presentation, which are both available now. With me on the call today are ResMed's Chief Executive Officer, Mick Farrell, and Chief Financial Officer, Brett Sandercock. During the Q&A portion of our call, Mick and Brett will be joined by Rob Douglas, our President and Chief Operating Officer, Jim Hollingshead, the President of our Sleep and Respiratory Care business, and David Pendarvis, Chief Administrative Officer and Global General Counsel. During today's call, we will discuss some non-GAAP measures. For a reconciliation of the non-GAAP measures, please review review the notes in today's earnings press release or the appendix of the earnings presentation. And as a reminder, our discussion today may include forward-looking statements, including but not limited to expectations about ResMed's future performance. We believe these statements are based on reasonable assumptions. However, our actual results may differ. You are encouraged to review our SEC filings for a discussion of the risk factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from any forward-looking statements made today. With that, I'll turn the call over to Mick. Thanks, Amy, and thank you to all of our stakeholders for joining us today as we review results for the September quarter, our first quarter of fiscal year 2022. Our first quarter results demonstrate strong performance across our business, buoyed by extremely high demand for our sleep and respiratory care devices, as well as continuing recovery of many markets from COVID-19. We achieved double-digit growth at both the top and bottom line metrics of our business, I want to be clear that achieving these results has not been easy this quarter. We are dealing with an unprecedented, what I would call perfect storm of elements, including the COVID recovery, but also including a competitor recall that's a recall that's tenfold higher than any in the industry to date, and supply chain constraints that are impacting not only our industry, but multiple industries worldwide. I'm incredibly proud of ResMedians across our global teams, many of whom are working 24-7 to get our products and solutions into the hands of patients who need them most. Despite these extraordinary efforts, we know that we have not been able to meet all of the demand. As the market leader, our competitor that is in the number two market share position announced a recall mid-June that has created unprecedented dislocations in the market. In effect, we are facing the challenge of providing the volume for our own number one market share position and also trying to meet as much of their number two market share position as possible around the world. Given the supply chain crisis, our suppliers have been allocating components to us on the inbound side. We have, in turn, been forced to allocate our products on the outbound side to our customers. We have been clear on the guiding principles for that allocation of our products. Namely, 
that we are giving priority for production and delivery of our devices to meet the needs of the highest acuity patients first. The allocation conversations that I have with our customers are the same ones that I am having with my suppliers and their suppliers and so on up the supply chain. As an example, during the quarter, I was on a Zoom call with one, with one of our suppliers, 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 and I'm not kidding. Uh, we achieved our goal uh, with, that, with that manufacturer and we, we received increased allocation from that manufacturer, but then we faced the challenge and are still facing it of working with the five customers of theirs all the way down that chain to get to us to ensure that the agreed upon increased allocation of that component actually gets to ResMed, gets manufactured into ResMed products and then sent to ResMed customers and ultimately to patients. That's just one example of a high degree of difficulty dive for our supply chain team. The supply chain analyses and negotiations are ongoing and the situation is very fluid, changing day by day, week by week, and month by month. We have an incredible Six Sigma Black Belt laden team of supply chain specialists working on these issues 24-7. In short, supply bottlenecks continue to restrict our access to critical electronic components especially semiconductor chips, that ultimately limit our net production output. In addition to component supply issues, the ongoing challenges of sea freight and air freight from manufacturing facilities to distribution warehouses and ultimately to customers are increasing our costs and further impacting our ability to respond as rapidly as we want to the huge demand for ResMed products. The combination of component shortages and transportation bottlenecks makes providing steady and smooth flow of products to the market very difficult. We are working incredibly closely with our global supply chain partners, doing everything we can to gain access to additional supply of the critical components that we need to further increase production of our medical devices. We will continue to coordinate with all stakeholders as the situation develops. We understand that this is a difficult situation for all of our customer groups, including physicians, home medical equipment providers, payers, and the most important customer, the patient. Our number one priority will always be patients, doing our best to help those who need treatment for sleep apnea, for COPD, for asthma, and for other chronic respiratory diseases, as well as critical out-of-hospital care. Our goal is to ensure that patients get the therapy that they need, where they need it, and when they need it. Let's now discuss the overall market conditions in our industry. We are seeing a steady, ongoing recovery of demand in the countries that we operate in. They remain at various stages of the post-COVID peak recovery process in terms of new patient flow. We are still seeing a divergence in total patient flow and sleep lab capacity from 75 to 95% of pre-COVID levels in some countries up to 100% plus of pre-COVID levels in others. These metrics will continue to ebb and flow as vaccines and boosters roll out globally and as new variants of the coronavirus arise and cause temporary perturbations. Our global ResMed team remains committed to working with national, state and city governments as well as local health, health systems, hospitals, and healthcare providers to supply the ventilators, the masks, and the training for acute care and the transition home for affected patients. Let me now update you on our three strategic priorities as we pivot back to grow our core business. These three are, one, to grow and differentiate our core sleep apnea, COPD, and asthma businesses. 
Two, to design, develop, and deliver world-leading medical devices, as well as digital health solutions that can be scaled globally. And three, to innovate and grow the world's best software solutions for care delivered outside the hospital, and especially in the home. In August, we launched our next generation device platform that we call AirSense 11 into the United States market. In short, that launch has been very successful. We will be introducing the AirSense 11 into additional countries very soon. Our market-leading R&D team accelerated the launch of this amazing innovation, first by expanding the control product launch to additional customers, and then accelerating to an earlier full product launch, launch date to bring this product to market faster. Globally, we continue to sell our market-leading legacy platform, the AirSense 10, to maximise the total volume of CPAP, APAP and buy levels available for customers. Clearly, the ongoing adoption of both the AirSense 10 and the AirSense 11 platforms remains very, very strong. It's still early into the AirSense 11 launch, but initial customer feedback combined with the detailed responses to our control product launch tells me that the AirSense 11 is another success for ResMed. Physician, provider and patient feedback are all very positive. I was able to attend the California Sleep Society meeting in person actually during the quarter and I was able to observe firsthand the responses to the latest innovations on the Essence 11, such as personal therapy assistant, care check-in and the incredible rate of uptake of the patient-centric app called MyAir, which has been upgraded for Essence 11. And the uptake on that is almost double what it was for the MyAir app than the Essence 10. What's clear to me is that this platform, the AirSense 11, benefits not only patients and their bed partners. In addition, the device and software combination benefits physicians, it benefits providers, and it benefits payers, as well as entire healthcare systems with more data, more insights, and better outcomes. As a two-way digital health comms platform with many technical features that represent significant therapeutic advances, AirSense 11 is not only easy to set up and use, it also offers a very rich patient-centric experience. All AirSense 11 devices are 100% cloud-connectable with upgraded digital health technology that is able to increase patient adherence, to improve clinical outcomes, and to deliver proven cost reductions within healthcare providers and physicians' own health systems. We are engaging with patients in their therapy digitally like never before in the industry. This is a critical part of the ResMed 2025 strategy as presented at our Investor Day, which we held virtually during this last quarter. Another key aspect of our long-term growth uh, is linked to the awareness and the increasing flow of sleep apnea patients. With 936 million sleep apnea sufferers worldwide, this work is critical to our mission. COVID-19 has advanced awareness, adoption and acceptance of digital health and remote care, including home-based sleep apnea tests. We want to support seamless and cost-effective approaches to sleep diagnostics. We want to scale technology that in our consumer markets enables an easy-to-use device experience and technology that in our reimbursed markets can be a low-cost, 
clinically reliable screening tool for sleep apnea. In this vein, on October 1st, we closed a transaction to acquire Ectosense, a leader in cloud-connected home sleep apnea testing technology from Belgium. We believe Ectosense's digital and easy-to-use solutions in the hands of both physicians and sleep lab technicians, as well as consumers, can help significantly increase sleep apnea diagnosis rates, as well as general sleep awareness. Ectosense will operate within our sleep and respiratory care business unit, and we're excited to bring this innovative technology to more global markets as we move forward. Let me now turn to a discussion of our respiratory care business, focusing on our strategy to better serve the 380 million COPD patients and the 330 million asthma patients worldwide. Our long-term goal is to reach hundreds of millions of patients with our respiratory care solutions, including non-invasive ventilation and life support ventilation, as well as newer therapeutic areas, such as cloud-connected pharmaceutical delivery solutions and high-flow therapy offerings. Demand for our core non-invasive ventilation and life support ventilation solutions for COPD and beyond was strong throughout the quarter, especially in markets outside the United States, where physicians and providers shifted focus to support the most severe, highest acuity patients. This demand is aligned with our strategy to ensure priority for manufacturing and delivery of the devices that meets the needs of those patients, specifically those that need life support ventilation or non-invasive ventilation, including bi-level support, first. We are balancing the growth in, in the respiratory care demand with the supply of ventilators that made it to market throughout the coronavirus pandemic, as well as customers as they balance their inventory with ongoing acute and chronic ventilation patient needs. We continue to see rapid adoption of the AirView for Ventilation software solution that we launched in Europe a little over a year ago, and we continue to expand this technology to regions around the world. The value, the value being provided through AirView for Ventilation has been very helpful to physicians, not only during COVID, but it is increasingly valuable on an ongoing basis for them and the healthcare systems that they operate in. In the not too distant future, I can see AirView becoming standard of care for patients on home-based ventilation protocols in many healthcare systems. Let me now review our software as a service business for out-of-hospital care. During the quarter, our SaaS business grew in the mid-single digits year-on-year year across our portfolio of markets, including home medical equipment, as well as facility-based and home-based care settings. The continued growth of uh, home-based care is providing tailwinds for our home medical equipment and our home health products, and we continue to grow with customers as they utilise our software and data solutions, including Brighttree and Snap Resupply, to improve and optimise business efficiencies and patient care. The COVID-19 pandemic has been challenging for some verticals in our SaaS business, particularly skilled nursing facilities. However, we are seeing positive trends as census rates of patients improve across SNFs and other facility-based care settings. We will continue to watch this closely as COVID cases ebb and flow at slower and slower rates around the country. We expect there to be pent-up demand for technology investments in these SaaS verticals, which provides opportunities for us to increase our new customer pipeline as COVID restrictions continue to ease. As we look at our portfolio of software solutions, we expect SaaS revenue to accelerate, 
increasing from mid-single-digit growth to high-single-digit growth by the back end of this fiscal year. As always, our goal is to meet or beat these market growth rates as we continue to innovate and take market share. We are the leading strategic provider of SaaS solutions for out-of-hospital care, and we provide mission-critical software across a broad set of very attractive markets. We are uniquely positioned and we have created differentiated value for ResMed with our SaaS portfolio. We are set up for sustainable growth through ongoing innovation investments, commercial excellence partnerships, and future acceleration through strategic M&A, as well as selective tuck-in M&A opportunities. Looking at the portfolio of ResMed's business across sleep and respiratory care, as well as our SaaS solutions, we remain confident in our long-term strategy and our pipeline of innovative solutions. Our patient-centric, physician-centric, and provider-centric approach combined with our unique ResMed culture means that we are well positioned to continue winning in the vast, vastly underserved respiratory medical markets of sleep apnea, COPD, asthma, and other chronic diseases. We are transforming out-of-hospital care at scale. We are leading the market in digital health technology. With over 10 billion nights now, 10 billion nights of medical data in the cloud and over 15.5 million 100% cloud-connectable medical devices on bedside tables in 140 countries worldwide, we are unlocking value from these data to help patients, providers, physicians, payers, and entire healthcare systems. Our mission and goal to improve 250 million lives through better healthcare in 2025 drives and motivates me and ResMedians every day we again made excellent progress toward that goal this quarter. Before I hand the call over to Brett for his remarks, I want to once again express my sincere gratitude and thanks to the more than 8,000 ResMedians for their perseverance, hard work and dedication during these ongoing and unprecedented times. You, our ResMed team, have helped save the lives of many hundreds of thousands of people around the world with COVID-19 with those emergency needs these last 18 months. And you are now, and you have now already, pivoted back to provide ongoing support for all of our customers during some of the most challenging industry dynamics that we've seen in the industry. Thank you. With that, I'll hand the call over to Brett in Sydney, and then we'll open the call up for Q&A. Brett? Great. Thanks, Mick. In my remarks today, I will provide an overview of our results for the first quarter of fiscal year 2022. As noted, all comparisons are to the prior year quarter. Group revenue for the September quarter was $904 million, an increase of 20%. In constant currency terms, revenue increased by 19%. Revenue growth reflected increased demand for our sleep and respiratory care devices, driven by both sleep patient flow recovering from the COVID-19 impacted reduced levels experienced in the prior year quarter, and by increased demand in response to the recent product recall by one of our competitors. In the September quarter, we estimate the incremental revenue from COVID-19 related demand was approximately 4 million compared to 40 million estimated incremental revenue from COVID-19 related demand in the prior year quarter. Excluding the impact of COVID-19 related revenue in both the September 21 and September 20 quarters, our global revenue increased by 25% on a constant currency basis. Looking forward, we expect negligible revenue from COVID-19 related demand. In relation to the impact of our competitors' recall, we estimate that we generated incremental device revenue in the range of 80 to 90 million in the September quarter. 
Taking a look at our geographic revenue distribution and excluding revenue from our software as a service business, our sales in US, Canada and Latin America countries were 491 million, an increase of 22%. Sales in Europe, Asia and other markets totaled 315 million, an increase of 23% or an increase of 21% in constant currency terms. By product segment, US, Canada and Latin America device sales were 276 million, an increase of 40%. Masks and other sales were 215 million, an increase of 5%. In Europe, Asia and other markets, device sales totaled 218 million, an increase of 24%, or in constant currency terms, a 22% increase. Masks and other sales in Europe, Asia and other markets were 97 million, an increase of 21%, or in constant currency terms, an 18% increase. Globally, in constant currency terms, device sales increased by 31%, while masks and other sales increased by 8%. Excluding the impact of COVID-19-related sales in both the current quarter and the prior year quarter, global device sales increased by 44% in constant currency terms, while masks and other sales increased by 10% in constant currency terms. Software as a service revenue for the September quarter was 98 million, an increase of 6% over the prior year quarter. For the balance of fiscal year 22, we expect several factors will drive demand, including the general recovery of the global sleep market from COVID-19 impacts, the ongoing launch of our next generation AirSense 11 platform into additional markets and geographies, and share gains during our competitors' recall. However, as reported last quarter, while we are working hard to increase manufacturing output, we will not be able to meet the expected demand resulting from our competitors' recall, primarily because of significant and ongoing supply constraints for electronic components. As Mick discussed earlier, we're operating in a very dynamic supply chain environment. Based on the latest information available, we continue to expect component supply constraints will limit the incremental device revenue resulting from our competitors' recall to somewhere between 300 million and 350 million for fiscal year 2022. This includes the device revenue we were able to generate in Q1. In particular, we now do not see any improvement in our component supply position until our fourth quarter of FY22. During my commentary today, I will be referring to non-GAAP numbers. We have provided a full reconciliation of the non-GAAP to GAAP numbers in our first quarter earnings press release. Our non-GAAP gross margin decreased by 270 basis points to 57.2% in the September quarter, compared to 59.9% in the same quarter last year. The decrease is predominantly attributable to higher manufacturing and freight costs, ASP declines and unfavourable currency movements which has been partially offset by a positive product mix, particularly in relation to strong growth of our higher acuity devices. Moving on to operating expenses, our SG&A expenses for the first quarter were 177 million, an increase of 11%, or in constant currency terms, SG&A expenses increased by 10% compared to the prior year period. The increase was predominantly attributable to an increase in employee-related expenses. SG&A expenses as a percentage of revenue improved to 19.5% compared to the 21.1% we reported in the prior year quarter. Looking forward and subject to currency movements, we expect SG&A as a percentage of revenue to be in the range of 20 to 22% for the balance of fiscal year 22. 
RNZ expenses for the quarter were $60 million, an increase of 10%, or on a constant currency basis, an increase of 9%. RNZ expenses as a percentage of revenue were 6.6%, compared to 7.3% in the prior year quarter. We continue to, to make significant investments in innovation because we believe our long-term commitment to technology, product and solutions development will deliver sustained competitive advantage. Looking forward and subject to currency movements, we expect R&D expenses as a percentage of revenue to be in the vicinity of 7% for the balance of fiscal year 22. Total amortisation of acquired intangibles was $19 million for the quarter and stock-based compensation expense for the quarter was $17 million. Our non-GAAP operating profit for the quarter was $281 million, an increase of 18%, underpinned by strong revenue growth. During the quarter, we finalised the deed of settlement with the Australian Taxation Office, or ATO, covering transfer pricing audits for the years 2009 through 2018, and also agreed on transfer pricing principles for the future. In anticipation of this settlement, we had previously estimated and recorded an accounting tax reserve of $249 million net of credits and deductions in our FY21 financial results. In relation to the conclusion of the settlement, in the current quarter, we recorded an additional GAAP tax expense of $4 million associated with lower tax credits, which were driven by foreign currency movements. On a GAAP basis, our effective tax rate for the September quarter was 21.3%, while on a non-GAAP basis, our effective tax rate for the quarter was 20%. Looking forward, we estimate our non-GAAP effective tax rate for the fiscal year 22 will be in the range of 19 to 20%. Non-GAAP net income for the quarter was $222 million, an increase of 20%. Non-GAAP diluted earnings per share for the quarter were $1.51, an increase of 19%. Our GAAP net income for the quarter was $204 million, and our GAAP dilute earnings per share for the quarter was $1.39. We had negative cash flow from operations for the quarter of $66 million due to the payment of $285 million to the Australian Taxation Office associated with a deed of settlement. After adjusting for this payment, our operating cash flow for the quarter was $219 million, reflecting robust underlying earnings, partially offset by increases in working capital. Capital expenditure for the quarter was $27 million, Depreciation and amortisation for the September quarter totaled $39 million. During the quarter, we paid dividends of $61.2 million. We recorded equity losses of $1.4 million in, in our income statement in the September quarter associated with the Prima Sun joint venture with Verily. We expect to record equity losses of approximately $2 million per quarter through the balance of fiscal year 22 associated with the joint venture operation. We ended the first quarter with a cash balance of $276 million. At September 30, we had $806 million in gross debt and $530 million in net debt. Our debt levels remained modest and at September 30, we had almost $1.5 billion available for drawdown under our existing revolver facility. In summary, our liquidity position remains strong. Our board of directors today declared a quarterly dividend of $0.42 cents per share, reflecting the board's confidence in our operating performance. Our solid cash flow and low leverage provides flexibility in how we allocate capital. Going forward, we plan to continue to reinvest for growth through R&D. We will also likely continue to, to deploy capital for tuck-in acquisitions such as Citus Health and Ectosense, an acquisition we made on October 1. And with that, I will hand the call back to Amy. Great. Thanks, Brett, and thanks, Mick. 
Uh, Kevin, I'd like to now turn the call back over to you to provide instructions and then run the Q&A portion of the call. Thank you. We'll now be conducting a question and answer session. As a reminder, in the interest of time, we ask that you please ask one question, then return to the queue. If you'd like to be placed into question queue, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing star 1. And as a reminder, please ask one question, then return to the queue. Our first question today is coming from Matthew Michon from KeyBank. Your line is now live. Um, good afternoon, and I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, hey, Mick, the first question is, how, how do you ensure that your devices are, are going to new patient fits um, versus a replacement device for, for, for Philips? Thanks, uh, Matthew. Well, it's... it's it's easy in markets where we're fully vertically integrated, like Germany, uh, South Korea, um, and, and other markets uh, worldwide, Australia, New Zealand, and others, um, and we're able to work directly uh, uh, with those patients and, and the doctors to make that happen. It is more difficult in, in other markets like France or the US, where we work through, through uh, providers, but it's been pretty clear from our competitor there that they uh, want people to go and register their devices and they're going to focus, they said, 12 months on just replacing those devices and frankly that's their ethical and legal duty to go do that. And um, so they, they are laser focused on that. And so our, our work is to make sure, you know, we see the demand from patients directly in those vertically integrated markets um, and, and through uh, distributors. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that the vast, vast, vast majority of our devices go to new, to new patients. There may be some uh, going to replacement patients who are going online or going through certain aspects to, to um, you know, get, get around or go faster than the Philips process. But uh, certainly, you know, the vast majority are going to new patients. Uh, the challenge for us is that the demand of being the number one player and also covering as much of the demand of the number two players as possible, we've reached uh, the capacity of those critical components coming in, in the front end. And so we're not even able to meet all of that uh, new patient demand with, uh, due to those supply chain constraints. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Chris Cooper from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now live. Thanks for taking my question. Um, look, Mick, I know when you set the guidance of 300 to 350 for, uh, for the recall, you were sort of unable to, to quantify uh, masks uh, and reluctant to do so. I, I was just hoping for an update today um, on whether you are seeing, in fact, any associated benefit on your mask sales due to the significant increase in, in CPAPs that you've seen in the quarter. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's, it's a great uh, question, and, and as you know, you know, we don't provide uh, detailed guidance, and we sort of went further than we ever did because of the wide variety of uh, sell side um, estimates of, of what the incremental revenue could be. And we gave that um, last quarter, we gave that 300 to 350 million device, you know, rough guidance, right? It's not, it's not perfect because we're predicting 12 months out in a very uncertain environment. And as Brett just reiterated, we're, we're sticking with that, knowing that we actually had 80 to 90 million during this quarter that, that comes out of that, right? And so then we've got the remainder to, to, to go fight for those components and be able to deliver that over the next nine months. Um, uh, in, in the mask side, it's, it's a very complicated story, and there's a, there's a number of moving factors, and, you know, we can get into this, and I can hand to Jim Hollingshead, who runs our sleep and respiratory care, can give further detail uh, on this question or if there's a follow-up question on it. But what, what I can say on masks is we're not going to give uh, public guidance around it, but there's a, a number of moving factors. You, you saw our mask growth, you know, during the quarter. It was globally at 8%, and, and the U.S. market was, was around 5%. 
Um, the, the headwinds we have is that while our number two competitor is not serving as many new patients as they should and we're not able to take all of that demand, there are less new patients being set up. And ResMed, no matter what the device was, ResMed had a very good, you know, well above 50% uptake rate of those new masks on new devices, no matter who was the manufacturer. And so that's a headwind for our business if there's a new patient that's not getting any therapy. And, and then the tailwinds would be, which are, which are not as high in, in, in volume, but the tailwinds would be that when it is a ResMed device, there is a high probability because they're designed to work together and they are working better together. And a doctor who loves our devices often likes our masks and same with a sleep technician and a sleep therapist and a respiratory therapist. They often uh, like the brands across across the technology spectrum, and ResMed's the leader in that, uh, we do get a very good uptake on that. So there's, there's, some, there's some upgrade on you know, the adherence rate to a ResMed device, but there's the headwind of, even with a competitor device, if there's no device out there, there's less mask sales happening, and, and thus you have the sort of 5% growth uh, in, the, in the US masks um, while we're limited on the ability as an industry to take care of that upfront demand. I think that's about as much colour as I can go into it without um, you know, quantifying it for you. But I can tell you it's, it's a complex moving equation for us to model at a, at a customer basis and a country level. So I can understand the difficulty for, for, for folks on the sell side as well. Thank you. Our next question is coming from David Lowe from JP Morgan. Your line is now live. Um, thanks very much. Um, Mick, if I could just get you to touch on the, the guidance for 300 to 350 million. I mean, given we've seen 80 to 90 come through this quarter, could we just talk a little bit about how you expect it to be phased through the rest of the year, given the supply side constraints, please? Yeah, thanks, David. And, and as I said in the prep remarks, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a perfect storm hitting, hitting the industry. And so there's so many dynamics impacting us that, uh, you know, I'm on a call this afternoon working on, on this. I'm, I'm shifting my attention, which usually focuses purely on, on customers and governments and, and, uh, and making sure the demand is there for this, this amazing industry that we serve in sleep apnea, COPD and asthma. And I'm spending a lot more time with suppliers. So, you know, with that, um, our best reading of the, uh, of the future flow of, of components is that um, yeah, look, and, and as Brett said in the prepared remarks, that uh, we, we actually had reasonably good flow, you know, some through inventory and, and, uh, and working through that in the quarter of 80 to 90 million here in the, in the first quarter. Um, it's going to be very difficult here in the December quarter uh, with component shortages and, and very difficult in the March quarter with component shortages. Um, I, I do think the components, uh, as, as we are getting uh, some, some increased uh, signals and, and actually doing some great engineering to, to work around different suppliers and to, to design in new components, uh, I feel much more confident about the June quarter, 2022, so our Q4 fiscal year 2022. Um, and so, I, you know, that sort of qualitative guidance to it, we're, we're not modelling it out. You know, we've got the 300 to 350 and you can subtract off the 80 to 90 and, and model it. But if, if I was looking at it, it would be tougher in December and tougher in March right now and, and then freeing up in the June quarter and then September quarter uh, even more so as some of our new designs and new components get to roll in and, uh, and we get that flow going. But look, it's changing day by day, week by week. I'm looking forward to my call this afternoon to, to potentially impact that. But if, even if I get agreement with someone today, uh, it takes uh, quite a while, as I explained, sort of with that example of the five levels deep in the supply chain to, to get that to flow through from a foundry to a chip manufacturer to our factory to a product to then our warehouse to then be able to sell it to a customer. So I, I know that's not specific quantitative guidance, David, but it's probably the best I can give you in terms of colour for, for fiscal year 2022 and, and you know, the, the hope we have in Q4 and, and Q123 as we, as we start to see those components really start to free up. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Suraj Kalia from Oppenheimer. Your line is now live. 
Um, hi, Meg. Hope everyone is safe and healthy. Um, hey, Meg, specifically on the Phillips recall, if I could, um, could you walk us through the dynamics in the U.S. versus OUS? How sticky are these share gains? And unless our math is wrong, it almost comes across like there is some sort of mix and match on the masks um, versus the devices. Just give us some additional color and really what we are trying to understand is, okay, you get 350, 400, whatever million incremental, how sticky are these uh, and how do you all plan for this? Thank you for taking my question. Uh, thank, thanks for the question, Siraj. And since I've answered the first three, I'll just I'll just correct it. Our guidance was 300 to 350, uh, not 350 to 400. What you just said, but 300 to 350 for the fiscal year. But Jim Hollingshead, yeah, you run this business. You want to you give as much as you can on the color to Siraj? Sure. Thanks, Siraj, for the question. Um, I think I, it's a very good question, and I'm just going to back up to what we're trying to do in the business, independent of the Phillips recall, and then talk about the context of the Phillips recall. You know, with the launch of AirSense 11, our aim is to put in place a product that, once again, significantly improves the patient experience and significantly improves workflows and lowers costs for providers, uh, and also puts us in the position midterm, long-term to improve outcomes. So AirSense 11 is a device that we put on market anticipating long-term share gain. And we have internal goals for that number, and you know we don't talk about that number uh, publicly, but, but our plan was to take share with that device. We're, we're launching that device now into a situation where the number two player in the market is out of the market for new patients. And so obviously we're going to take as, as, you know, quite a lot of share uh, as we can put that product into the market. And we have the two best products on the market in AirSense 10 and AirSense 11. So your question is how sticky will that share be? Um, our goal is to make it quite sticky. But obviously, uh, you know, um, we have um, good competitors in this market and we don't anticipate landing at 100% share. Uh, when their recall clears, but we want to have a number that's higher than what it was before we launched AirSense 11. And we're pretty confident we can do that. And just to, to cap on that, uh, this answer is probably already too long, but to cap on that, I will say that we've, we've managed to take a few points of mass share during the recall as well. And our aim would be to keep some of that share as well. So I think we will emerge from this stronger um, than when we entered it. And our offerings are clearly the best offerings on the market. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Gretel Janu from Credit Suisse. Your line is now live. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Just on U.S. masks, I just wanted to touch a little bit more on that, um, given that it did disappoint slightly versus expectations. So has there been any change to the resupply dynamics in the U.S. market in the quarter? Thanks, Gretel. I'll have a go and maybe Jim can join in as well. But I, I can tell you the, the resupply is actually uh, very strong. Um, you know, we, we have uh, Brighttree resupply. We also have Snap technology that has been incorporated into our Brighttree platform that has uh, driven incredible resupply. If you remember, that really was going strong throughout 2020. So we have some incredibly high comps when you look at the percentage growth rate of masks uh, from this quarter a year ago, even despite COVID hitting this time a year ago, our mask resupply, and maybe because of that somewhat with the HMEs focusing on it, our, our mask resupply was through the roof this time a year ago. And even with those comps, um, we're still achieving some, some very good rates in resupply. As I said, there are headwinds in that when we're not taking care of all new patients, and ResMed gets well over 50% of all masks on new patients, no matter whose device it is in the global market. Uh, that's a headwind that we're that we're dealing with uh, while this uh, while this recall continues.
figures. But the tailwinds of resupply are actually uh, well incorporated into those figures. And I, I think if you if you look outside the U.S. market and look at Europe, Asia, and and you know the other 140 countries we operate in, you saw pretty strong 18 percent double-digit growth in masks in those areas and, and global growth of, of around 8%, um, which, it, which, is, which is very strong given, given the headwinds of new patient setups. But, Jim, any, any further colour on the U.S. Um, or beyond? Yeah, I would, I would just say uh, I'd probably end up repeating some of the key points, but we had a very large comp, um, and there was a tailwind created by COVID, which is patients, we've talked about this before over the last three or four quarters, but patients are more focused on having clean masks Right. COVID has created a mentality of, I want a new mask, I want a fresh mask for patients. And then our HME customers in the U.S. have been focused on, on driving resupply into their installed base of patients. And I actually think that within the context of the Phillips recall, um, driving revenue out of the installed base of patients has once again become quite an important uh, emphasis for our HME customers. And then there are the headwinds. The headwinds of the whole market is not being served, so new patient uh, starts are down. Um, and, the, and because we had slower new patient starts during the span of COVID overall, because labs weren't open, there's a little bit of headwind on resupply because the installed base didn't grow during that period the way we might have anticipated it to. So, so you know, it balances out. The dynamic inside of the installed base is quite good. So the installed base of patients continue to be resupplied at a, a very healthy rate. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Craig Wan-Penn from RBC. Your line is now live. Thanks. Um, just the question for me was on the different regions which are, are trending below pre-COVID levels and which ones are above. Could you just give any colour which different markets um, are in which category? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Craig. I'll hand that to Rob Douglas, our President and Chief Operating Officer. Yeah, thanks, Craig. The, um, you know, the issue uh, really is that all of our markets are performing very strongly. The, the actual recall impacts are global, so we're seeing that really excess demand and uh, just with different dynamics, as Mick said before, you saw that very strong in the masks on all of it. I actually couldn't call out any particular region and saying it wasn't doing really well. Um, there are specific countries, and sometimes it's local. When there's a lockdown, there might be a shortage of diagnosis capacity, and you'll see that. But our teams uh, really run through that and manage around that. And uh, the, uh, as I said, just to recap, the strong performance was across all countries. Yeah, and I'd add on maybe just a little bit of colour there, Craig. I mean, it's hard to say because you said, oh, you know, what what what, what regions? And, and as Rob said, we can't say what regions. And even if you would ask a more specific question, what countries? It'd be difficult to say there because, you know, in the US there are 50 states with all different regulations and some of them are at 100% plus capacity and some are at 75, 80 within the state level. And then, and then cities going up and down and China's not just there, it's different regions there as well. So it, it, there are ebbs and flows on a daily, weekly, monthly, but what we can say is on aggregate, it is getting better and better. And it's nice to see some cities, some states, some countries at 100% plus, that they're, they're getting through it, they're finding ways to, to uh, embrace digital health, home sleep apnea testing and remote setup so that we're able to get the flow of patients going through. Then the challenge we have right now is that we don't have the components as those patients with prescriptions come through to meet all of that demand, which is the... Uh, which is the, the real critical uh, rate limiter right now as well. Thanks for your question, Craig. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from David Bailey from Macquarie. Your line is now live. Thanks very much. Um, morning, Mick, um, Brett. Um, just as part of the recall, um, residents are going to be getting more exposure through the, the, the patient referral network. I'm just wondering if you've had any feedback or observations from physicians, DMEs, patients in relation to ResMed's product offering. Um, just wondering if there's any observations from, from that group that 
uh, but, but may have used Redmes, ResMed less frequently before. Yeah, David, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think, you know, everyone had exposure to, to ResMed products. We're the market leader. Everyone knew the brand name. Everyone had tried it. And, uh, you, you know, we, we get a large uh, percentage of the prescriptions and, and actually the share in, in the 140 countries we operate in. But as you said, there are, you know, some doctors who, you know, liked a particular aspect or a technical aspect or um, an emotional aspect, really, or a workflow aspect of, of some of our competitors' um, uh, device or software systems. And to your question, they are getting, if you like, forced exposure because it's the only one available for new patients to, to ResMed's amazing innovation on the device, the software, the systems and the flow. And if they had some form of prejudice of, you know, a device from the 90s that they tried or something and had been stuck with a brand, they're now trying a new brand. And I, I do think, to Jim's point earlier, that some of that brand new share of somebody who, you know, was in another brand's uh, componentry area says, wow, this actually is great. My prejudice was wrong. And I think we will get a, a lot of that share that will maintain forever. And I, th I think certainly um, the exposure of patients to the brands and to understand that has increased. I mean, the net promoter score for ResMed amongst patients is rising and the knowledge about the brands, for better or for worse, through this awful recall is they're getting to know what device they have. And, and that awareness is actually good for the whole industry because I think physicians and providers and technicians have always, always been aware of the brands and, and had uh, prescription biases and others that we absolutely influence through our really strong commercial clinical sales teams. Um, and now we're getting that brand name to, to new customers as well. So, I mean, the short answer to your question is yes, we've got exposure to new consumers, new physicians, new providers, and we think a lot of that will be sticky because of the value we provide. Uh, the, you know, the brand is the brand, but it when it represents 50% lower labour costs for you setting up a patient, when it represents, you know, three less clicks to get a report, when it reflects uh, an API that can link into your Epic or your Cerner or your uh, National Health uh, trust uh, uh, system really efficiently, it becomes really part of your day-to-day -day workflow and that's the type of share that we think uh, you know, is part of the ResMed brand and will maintain our uh, strong growth uh, for a long period to come through this, uh, through this period. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Margaret Caxler from William Blair. Your line is now live. Hey guys, this is Maggie Bowie on from Margaret. Um, I wanted to ask one on gross margins today. Um, I would say that the growth margins for the quarter came in a little bit better than expected, although still contracting. Um, can you talk about some of the dynamics within that and how you are leveraging the increase in cost given um, the supply constraints and the freight um, issues today and how you are looking at future growth margins um, specifically in the upcoming quarter? Thanks. Yeah, Brett, I'll uh, hand that question to you. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Hi, Maggie. <clears throat> yeah, the gross margin is pretty consistent with where we were at Q4, and the, the big impact we're still seeing is on freight costs. That's, that's been really significant, so we've been that's a big headwind for us. Um, so that that's in it. Um, some FX impacts, I think, that we had to deal with, which is a headwind this this quarter as well. Uh, we were we did have a little bit of benefit on product mix with the higher acuity devices. So think of the bi levels, Astral, Stellar's, um, ASV devices. Uh, that, that helped uh, with a favourable product mix this quarter, which helped, uh, helped on the gross margin side. So that was some, that was a, a little bit of a tailwind for us. Um, but having said all that, there's still challenges, still pressures on on freight, still pressures that will come through on component costs and so on as well. So we need to we need to keep an eye, eye on that. Um, but, but product mix has been quite good for us, and that's helped. Um, 
Yeah, so overall, pretty pretty pleased with how the gross margin ended up for the quarter. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Sean Laman from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now live. Uh, thank you. Uh, good morning, Mick. Uh, good morning, team. Uh, great set of numbers. Um, uh, Mick, I know you, you typically don't give um, sort of much discussion around uh, what you've observed on price in the quarter or on uh, product mix, but that said, you know, you've talked to uh, the supply constraints, um, yet you've delivered the device numbers that, that you have. How would you, um, or, or could you help us, you know, characterise what, what you've observed on the, the price volume mix somehow uh, in the quarter? Thanks, Mick. Yeah, thanks for the question, Sean. And you're right, we, we don't provide uh, details around pricing. But uh, look, clearly this is uh, these are unprecedented times. Costs, uh, as you saw, and even just in Brett's last answer there around gross margin, are going up. Freight costs, I mean, you know, sea freight. There, there are over 100 ships just, uh, you know, two hours north of me here on the, on the I-5 stuck outside Long Beach that can't get through. So the sea freight inventory is sitting there. Um, it's coming through at higher costs than it's ever been. Air freight, uh, you know, we have literally chartered planes to fly from Singapore to LA and Singapore to Atlanta to get our products to market with this demand. And so those types of things increase costs dramatically. And we have to do that. They're actually consumer planes, but no consumers in them. And literally just ResMed devices taking up the seats and, and overhead. And, and so that, that, that has impacted our costs. Um, one thing we are doing is with the AirSense 11, we are launching that with a price premium. It is excellent innovation. It is, you know, not just the best in ResMed for eight years. It's the best in the market, I think, ever as a platform. And so that deserves a price premium. And so we will be extracting that. And look, we have been working with customers on eliminating some certain, you know, discounts and rebates and other things that we had used in the past because those uh, don't apply now. And so we're, we're eliminating some of those costs. And look, this is a customer by customer, uh, you know, region by region discussion that happens on a daily basis with our commercial team. But, but clearly, we cannot take all of the costs that have been given to us. And, and um, we, we are working with Essence 11 launch and with appropriate removal of, of other elements and, and pricing conditions with customers on a customer-by-customer customer basis to address this over time. But our goal, our laser-focused laser goal is to make sure we take care of every patient that comes through the channel. And I think that's what you saw during this last quarter. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Anthony Patron from Jeffrey. Your line is now live. Hey guys, this is Frank on for, for Anthony. Uh, two questions from our side. Number one, uh, what's the reception to Philip's recent U.S. clearance of the replacement, uh, the uh, rebatement foam among U.S. DMEs? And then uh, a follow-up, uh, we're hearing a lot on uh, U.S. hospital staffing shortages. Uh, is, is there a potential tailwind for matrix care or what are some of the dynamics there looking, looking ahead for the rest of the year? Thanks uh, for the questions, Frank. Uh, look, I, I actually have no idea what customers are thinking of, um, of the replacement foam versus the replacement devices um, for our competitor. That's their job to take care of that. If I was a patient, I'd want a replacement device. I wouldn't want to replace foam. That's what I'd say. But I have no idea on that. It's a very, very um, lack of uh, strong communication that I've seen publicly on that. And I can tell you, as N equals one, I have, I have no, nothing to add to that. Um, 
But on the US hospitals front, I do think, as I said in my prepared remarks, that we are seeing facilities-based um, uh, SAS, you know, the census rates at skilled nursing facilities are starting to pick up. The numbers of uh, patients in beds is picking up. And, and we actually think, as you said, that there's a pent-up demand for technology to help with that. But Rob, do you have any further colour on, on both Matrix Care and the Bright Tree Home Health yep. and Hospice? Absolutely. It's actually an underpinning of our SAS strategy um, that it's been a long-term issue uh, that getting the right staff and keeping them uh, and, and dealing with the cost of training them and getting staff who are providing really good patient experience has been a big challenge for all of these care providers, not just hospitals. Uh, and so we believe that our technology solutions actually make life better for the staff, uh, make it easier for them to do the job, easier to get trained uh, and more likely to stay on the job uh, and also more efficient. So. Um, you know, staffing challenges actually are, are another driver of our strategy, just like, as Jim mentioned earlier, the, the concerns about cleanliness and respiratory health are a driver of our core sleep strategy. These staffing shortages and challenges do drive our SAS strategy long term, and um, uh, long term that'll be a, a tailwind for the, for the business. Uh, many, many short-term factors going on there, but uh, we've, as Nick said earlier, we're seeing a good, good improved performance despite challenging times, particularly for skilled nursing facilities uh, across our SAS businesses. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Steve Ween from Jordan. Your line is now live. Well, thanks. Um, good afternoon, Mick. Um, I just wanted to ask, I imagine it's quite difficult to differentiate what sales of devices are relating or going into um, the, uh, the Philips opportunity versus the organic growth of your business. But if I do strip out the 90 million uh, out of your device revenues for this quarter and then strip out the 40 million of um, vent sales in the, in the PCP, you're getting in excess of 20% growth. Is that how you ca characterise what's going on with the new patient starts? Steve, thanks uh, for, for the question, and uh, yeah, good morning to you uh, there in Australia. I, I, I think uh, you're not wrong that we would have very strong double-digit growth, uh, and, and that actually makes sense and has traditionally happened when we launch a new product like the AirSense 11. Uh, it's our first platform launch in, in eight years, and as I said in my prep remarks, I mean, I'm blown away by things like the personal care assistant, I, watching the care check-in, and the personal therapy says, watching the, the sleep technicians and sleep doctors live at that California Sleep Society engage, not just with the presentation from the marketing teams, but then sitting down with the clinical teams and walking through this device, I think it's a device that deserves to take uh, double-digit growth and take a lot of share. And so I, I think your, your calculations there are spot on in terms of this is a double-digit growth time for ResMed in the device space, irrespective of uh, this competitive recall, irrespective of... Um, the comps that we had around uh, COVID and vents and, and the, you know, the tailwinds events and the headwinds of, of sleep apnea patients coming in a year ago um, that we're seeing really strong growth of the, of the sleep space. And as Jim said earlier, our goal is to entrench people in these amazing workflows that have lower costs and better outcomes and drive uh, therapy to, uh, to, to patients in ways never seen before. The part that I'd highlight is this huge take-up of patients signing on to my and having a personal relationship with their therapy uh, through their smartphone with MyAir is at unprecedented levels. I'm talking double the uptake of Essence 10. That's one of the highlights that I think has been missed throughout this first. So, Steve, thanks for the question and the opportunity to highlight that. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from John Deacon Bell from Citigroup. Your line is now live. 
Thank you. I was just hoping to, to get a little more colour on where you think the sleep testing capacity is in, in the market. Are, are we back to pre-pandemic levels? So just to, and give us a little more colour on, on new patients and where you think that is kind of trended over the last couple of quarters. Great question, John. I'll hand that to Jim Hollingshead. Thanks, John. Um, as we said in, in mixed prepared remarks, uh, you know, testing capacity is mostly back to normal. I would I would say in the U.S. market we're mostly back to normal, um, and there's actually probably some upside built into that because uh, a number of sleep labs uh, increasingly during the COVID crisis, home sleep testing was more readily adopted by sleep labs that maybe would not have taken it on uh, before. And so probably you've still probably got slightly fewer people going to labs, but a much broader use of home sleep testing. And I think in general you can say in the U.S. testing capacity is back to normal, maybe a little bit up although the shape of it looks a little bit different. And then, you know, in other regions, it, it's really, it varies quite a lot by what's happened with the Delta variant, what's happened with healthcare systems. But in general, I would say um, new patient starts in, say, Europe um, are coming back to pre-COVID normal. Some countries are a little bit different. And in some cases, you've still got um, health systems that are a little bit backed up, right? So especially in hospital-based systems, um, the diagnosis may be back up, but the actual capacity to set patients up on therapy may be now a bit of the bottleneck, so there's pent-up demand and things like that. But, um, but I would say, in general, we're almost back to normal. And I would add to that, one of the reasons we decided to move forward with the acquisition of Ectosense is that we really want to make it much easier for patients to understand whether or not they have a sleeping issue. So in some markets, Ectosense will be used as a screener, uh, and in some markets, Ectosense is already used as a diagnostic tool, but the patient experience with that technology is really, really simple, really easy to do, and so we're working with that acquisition to open up the funnel even further. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Leanne Harrison from Bank of America. Your line is now live. Good morning, all, and thank you for taking my question. I just wanted to talk about inventory levels a little bit, um, both at ResMed and also at the distributors. So on your balance sheet, I see higher inventory levels compared to last quarter. Um, can you talk about what that might mean for device sales going into second quarter? But then also, um, if we look at, um, you know, the different regions you're operating in, you know, from our perspective, we're seeing greater bottlenecks at setups in the United States than in Europe. So, um, you know, do you have a sense of what inventory levels are like with your distributors um, between the United States and Europe? So that's a great question, Leanne, and quite detailed. I'll hand the first part of the question about ResMed's inventory and what's been happening with the build-up there to Brett, and then I'll hand the second part about the inventory at the HMEs, HCPs, and uh, distributors, as they call them, in Europe, between the US and Europe, to Jim Hollingshead. So, Brett, over to you first, and then Jim. Yeah, thanks, mate. Hi, hi, Leanne. <clears throat> yeah, on the inventory, that a lot of that build reflects the components or raw materials part of our inventory, and we're really, it's really in response, I, I think, to the elongation of supply chains and, and the bottlenecks and congestions that we're seeing. Um, we are looking to support production for any upside in electronic components. So, so there's a lot of components that are ready to go once we get electronic components. So we've been pretty deliberate on that. We're looking to increase safety stocks as well, really to try to deal with these supply disruptions. Uh, and the other big one we're seeing is that just with the increased sea freight, air freight lead times, it's, it's sort of blowing out to two up to four weeks. 
So that's kind of more inventory that we're carrying, and I think probably a lot of companies will see that as well. Um, so those logistics delays, I think, are causing a lot more what I call stock in transit coming through as well. So it's a, it's a combination of those factors. We're also running, for example, the dual AS10, AS11 platforms, and that, that's really there to support um, demand into the market. So we're, we're doing that as well, which might be a little more unusual than what we would typically do. So it's a combination of those factors is really driving up um, our inventory levels uh, a, a little bit, although um, inventory days have been a, a, a reasonable. Um, so that's really trying to support um, yeah, overall production when we can get those components in, I think, is, is, is the, the crux of the thesis there. Thank you. Our next question today is coming oh, from... Wait. Well, hold on. Actually, oh, sorry, Jim. Jim's going to answer the Kevin, second I'll just, part of that. I'll just I add apologize. to Leanne's question. No, that's fine. I'll just add to, to the second half of Leanne's question, which is um, I think it's very safe to say that our customers and distributors have very little inventory. They're running right now, I think, with unusually low inventory levels. And so... Um, you know, it, when you when you take the number two manufacturer out of the market and you underserve the market, uh, it creates a very very difficult situation. So we're reporting what we think is obviously a strong quarter, but we're working frantically to lift our manufacturing supply and deliver product to market. And as an industry, the manufacturers in this industry are underserving demand, and so it's put our customers in a very difficult situation. Um, and you know, they're frustrated. And we understand that they're frustrated, and we're doing the very best we can to, to build product as fast as we can and deliver it as fast as we can because we know that, um, that the market is undersupplied and it's, it's putting our customers under a great deal of pressure. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Saul Hadassin from Baron Joey. Your line is now live. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Um, and apologies if the line's a bit crackly. But, Mick, just a quick question on SAS. You mentioned uh, growth increasing to upper single digit by the end of fiscal 22. Can you just talk to what the drivers of that increase are, what the key drivers of the um, that, that uplift are likely to be, give you that confidence? Yeah, thanks, Saul. I'll, I'll uh, start and, and hand to Rob maybe for some further details. Um, look, you know, we, we have uh, Bobby Gashal, our new president of the SAS division, and I, I can tell you he's hitting the ground running uh, these last um, five weeks he's been in there, and certainly we're seeing some, some great opportunities for accelerating growth. I think, look, the, the, the externalities that I talked about in the prep remarks that we covered earlier, that skilled nursing facility census is coming back, so demand's coming back, and we see the book, the pipeline book, starting to build up. And in a SaaS business, that's great because you, when the pipeline builds up, you get the conversions and then it turns into revenue. So we get pretty good visibility, even three, six, nine months out to, to seeing sort of an acceleration of growth. So I pr feel pretty confident with those census rates and others that SNF census rates are going up and that we are going to see with, with Matrix Care's really good, good products some growth in the matrix care business to, to start accelerating there. In addition, Brighttree and Snap, although they're annualizing some of the acquisitions of Snap, uh, we're seeing really good adoption of those resupply and some really new uh, innovative tools that the Brighttree R&D team are bringing to market. And Bobby was previously COO there and has a good knowledge of that. I think that'll accelerate throughout the rest of the fiscal year. But Rob, there's so many, you know, the eight verticals there, what, what other elements do you have reasons to believe that can accelerate this business? I, I think you've covered many of them, Mick, but also there's a real execution focus on the team and we're really confident that they're, that they're driving execution. Mick mentioned the innovation, there's a strong innovation mentality in that team and we've got great new offerings and great new ideas coming to market as well as um, you know, really streamlining our, our focus uh, and, and 
a lot of it's also execution on the sales front and having the sales team being able to build the pipelines uh, and increasingly doing face-to-face visits uh, and getting these deployments uh, underway as things ease up. So we've got a lot of confidence in that business. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Dan Hearn from MST Marquee. Your line is now live. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks very much. Um, just look, at the fourth quarter, you guided to this uh, 300 and 350, and at that time, you were quite explicit that we should not expect the up and the uplift until the second half. And now today, you're suggesting the uplift comes in first quarter and fourth quarter, and you delivered almost, what, 30% of that total uplift in the first quarter alone. So, you know, and on top of that, Brett has just said you've got this raw material inventory bill. So can you explain what has, what's changed since then um, and why, what the mechanics of this drop-off in second and third quarter will be? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So, look, it's a complex and, and moving dynamic, but, um, you know, the, the rate-limiting step here is uh, electronic components, and spe- specifically semiconductor chips uh, from a particular manufacturing and a supply chain that, you know, I know the names and the people, and I'm talking to them to try and get this supply. The trouble is that there are multiple other industries, and... Um, uh, demand for semiconductor chips that are through the roof, and obviously, you know, everyone on this call follows many other industries. You, you've heard this. We're not alone in medical device industry, automotive industry, consumer communications industry, um, even uh, consumer products. Uh, you know, are often cloud connected now and have have these limitations. So, look, you know, things haven't gone better these last 90 days in terms of supply. They've got very very difficult, and our visibility. You know, as I look at the June quarter, I feel very confident in the semiconductor chips coming through. But in December. March, you know, it's it's hand to mouth of these devices and chartering planes and working with redesigns to make sure these semiconductor chips go so much in. And so our best reading of the dynamics, even though we feel on aggregate that 300 to 350, which is which is a pretty broad range uh, in itself, um, uh, and has some plus and minus on the top and the bottom end of it, um, uh, that we feel you know stronger on that on that June quarter with the supply that we see coming through. Whereas whereas it's not as strong. I'm closer to the December one now, and I know it's going to be tough and and March as well. But look, things can change on on a day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month. And what we're doing is we're being as open as we ever have around supply chain, as open as we ever had and transparent about um, sort of the variability, if you like, of the flow of these components that come in. I can tell you, though, we get one more chip, it goes into one more device and goes to one patient. And that's that's the truth. There is no stockpiling of this inventory. It goes all the way straight through to production. And we have an incredibly efficient plant in Singapore and um, and, and uh, also in Sydney and uh, also manufacturing in Atlanta, Georgia. And we are not constrained on our internal capacity. As soon as that part comes in, that rate-limiting bottleneck part, it goes onto a product gets to a customer, and that's what we are focused on, and um, I'm giving, you know, as as much color as I can qualitatively around that. Thank you. We've reached the end of our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the floor back over to Mr. Farrell for any further closing comments. Well, thanks, Kevin, and thanks again to all of our shareholders for staying on an extra five to seven minutes here and joining us on this call. Uh, I'd also like to thank once again the 8,000 ResMedians, uh, many of whom are also shareholders and listen to this call for their dedication, hard work, helping people breathe better, sleep better, and live better lives uh, outside the hospital in 140 countries. Thanks for what you do today and every day. Thanks especially to our ResMed heroes on the front lines during this crisis, Uh, patient care, technical service, sales teams, working with customers every day, but I'd like to add a special call out to our amazing teams on the front lines of supply chain, 
management, production, distribution. All of you are heroes. Every chip you get is a patient's life change. So I look forward to talking with you all again, all of our stakeholders here in 90 days. Thank you. I'll turn the call back to Amy to close out. Great. Thanks, Mick, and thanks, everyone. We appreciate your interest and your time. If you have any additional questions, please don't hesitate to reach out directly. This does conclude our first quarter 2022 call. Kevin, you may now close us out. Thank you. That does conclude today's teleconferencing webcast. You may disconnect your lines at this time and have a wonderful day. We thank you for your participation today.